0: Happy birthday to the world, let us pray. Gracious God, as we gather around your word, we pray that your spirit might be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to uh, find a couple of things in your notes. Uh, Just kind of give us a little bit of a direction here. For those of you who are new, Christ the King has been blessed or cursed with a former professor as the interim rector. So you get lots of handouts and stuff. And I want to just uh, invite you to set aside one that we won't be referring to, but that I invite you to look at later on. And it's called Historical Evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus from the Dead. Um, And it's a, a helpful essay that provides documentation and evidence as to why Christians rightly believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's a lot of really good, hard, cold, historical evidence. And although we affirm it by faith, we don't do that in the absence of the evidence. And I say that right from the beginning because on this Resurrection Sunday, we are reminded that without the resurrection of Jesus bodily from the dead, there is no Christian faith. So the resurrection is all important. I want to invite you also to look at the, uh, the translation that I gave. And I think I'm going to take it back from you, Christine, if you still got it. You uh, can share that if you're Are you okay sharing <laughs> Great. Okay. You're welcome. We have two Easter passages today. The one that is the most important was read first. That is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. John's version of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then we have kept as kind of an an appendix for a lesson a little bit later on, the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And for those of you who have been with us for the past um, three or four Sundays, uh, intermittently I've been doing a Lenten series on Lazarus and Jesus. Because in some ways, the resurrection of Lazarus was a prefiguring of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is unique. Uh, Lazarus died again and is an ordinary human being. Jesus is the son of God, the eternal son of God, who, as a human being, died a death for all of us. And his resurrection represents the rebooting of creation. So they're very different. But Lazarus is kind of a shoe in I think, or a way in for us to understand the significance of Jesus' resurrection for us today. So I invite you to have before you an outline of the sermon, which is on page 4, and the translations um, and notes, as you might want to refer to them, on pages uh, 1 and 2. How to fully experience the new resurrection life that Jesus has and gives. That's the subject or the topic of what I want to say in the next few minutes. How to fully experience the new resurrection life that Jesus has and gives. And I've thought of two short answers, only one of which is at the top of the outline. The first is recognize that Jesus' new life comes in two stages, present and the future. So you might want to add that in. It's later in the sermon outline, but I wanted to highlight it in what I say. Recognize that Jesus' new kingdom life comes in two stages. More to be said about that later. And then the more important short answer is this. Four words. And if you remember nothing more than these four words, you've got the sermon. Step out. In faith step out in faith over the weekend we had uh, family visiting us with visiting with us and um, our three children were there with two grandchildren and we began looking at movies home movies from the 1990s and there were pictures of our children who are now in their 30s who were kind of one two and three and it was blissful bedlam And I could've watched those pictures for hours, just seeing these three cute little kids of ours sporting around the house. And when you get to be my age, you sometimes think that uh, the years that are best are in the past. You look back and you think, them were the good old days. But actually that's kind of pathetic, isn't it? I mean, people who live in the past are often not really in tune with the present. And they're often so focused on the past maybe even wounded by some bitter experience from the past, that they can't live in the present, or that they don't have much to look forward to in the future. Jesus' resurrection invites us to have our cake and eat it too when it comes to the present and the future. The resurrection that happened some 2,000 years ago when Jesus bodily emerged from the tomb brought himself back from the dead, we're told, and stood before Mary and the disciples and a bunch of other people, brought with him the future life. But we also read in John's Gospel that it's not just something that we look forward to in the future, although that's going to be great when we have uh, newly resurrected bodies, when we see our loved ones who are long since passed, raised from the dead. We have this kind of supernatural fellowship with each other, In the new world, where all that is evil and all that is rotten in the world has been destroyed, there's a bright day coming ahead. But God wants us also to know that future eternal life is already here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And God teaches through Jesus that if we believe in Jesus our sins are forgiven. That God has already judged us. And if we're believing in Jesus, we have been acquitted. So the future life that is uh, exciting and scary is here in the present. I got a little bit ahead of myself. Let's go back according to the outline and start with the basics. Okay, so it's Easter weekend. We know that Good Friday happened. Why did Jesus die? And why was Jesus raised from the dead? Some people think it was a, a, a man who was a noble teacher who got just surrounded by evil people and was killed, and his resurrection is some kind of a vindication, which it is. But it's nothing magical. It's not a kind of a freak show. It's, it's not sort of a weird demonstration of something bizarre. It has a real significance. And the significance is that Jesus... Underwent his own sting operation. He intentionally died. And when he died, he paid the penalty for our sins. Scripture makes it clear that everyone who has sinned has fallen short of the glory of God. And everyone who has sinned stands under God's judgment. And as harsh as it seems, God is perfect. We mess up. We deserve to die. That's horrible. But God is no ogre. God sent his only perfect son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. So as I said on Friday, it's as though we have all uh, standing in a in a jail cell under the condemnation of death. None of us can help ourselves. None of us can help each other because we're all in that jail cell together. And from outside of ourselves, God becomes incarnate in Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's sinless. So he doesn't have the penalty. He's outside of the jail cell. And he invites us as he opens the door and uh, accomplishes our salvation by his death on the cross. He opens the prison door and he says, I paid the penalty. Step out in faith. Step out in faith. And for everyone who responds to that good news that Jesus has died for their sins, they have assurance of forgiveness of sins. And the resurrection of Jesus is therefore not just kind of a magical thing or a stunt show or whatever. It's an historical event. There's lots of evidence. Read the the article later if you like. But in a way, it's God's receipt proving that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was raised from the dead in proof or in demonstration that God was satisfied with the penalty that was paid. God was happy with it, and he accepted it. And Jesus came back to life as the fully renewed human being, as the fully renewed human being who represents us and the new life that we can have through him. So that's the basics. Um, let's move to, uh, to, to something a little bit uh, more complicated, which is an item two. Let's go deeper by recognizing, and here's what I mentioned in the outline to begin with, that the new life that God brings in Jesus has two phases, present and future. It has two phases, present and future. One of the great recognitions of New Testament scholarship in the past hundred years was a recognition that Jesus, when he came, he brought part of the future world into the present. And so you and I live both in the present as Christians, and we also live kind of, Partly the future life that is yet to come. So we're kind of caught between the ages, as it were. Let me see if I can use an illustration. Think of the sun that we're enjoying the heat of this week. I say it's going to get up to 20 degrees. The heat that we feel from the sun this week is actually coming from light that emanated in the past. Because light takes time to travel, what we experience as a present reality actually happened in the past. And so Christians, when they see Jesus come into the world and they see what he did, they recognize that a piece of the future came into the present. And that's why Jesus could say, the kingdom has come upon you. When Jesus is here, the kingdom is here. But Jesus also taught us to pray, the kingdom come. So I don't know who it was, whether it was C.H. Dodd or George Ladd or somebody else. It doesn't really matter. But they have this this catchphrase that we live between the already and the not yet. We live between the already and the not yet. There are lots of goodies from the future that have come that are part of our experience as Christians. The forgiveness of sins, the fact that the, the judgment that God has made upon us or will make upon us has already been made upon us when we put our faith in Jesus. It's a done deal. So we kind of uh, are living in two worlds. We have the best of both worlds. We have the present world and the future world. Jewish people were looking for the end times. And they recognized three or four signs of the end times. And the age to come, they knew what happened when the Messiah came, when the dead would be raised, when God would pour his spirit out on all the world, and when judgment would come. Now, my point is this those things have happened in Jesus, and they will happen again. So, there's the two stages, there are the two phases. Part of the future has come into the present. Jesus has come as the Messiah, Jesus will come again as the Messiah. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and spiritually, we have been raised from the dead too. But there will come a day when after we die, if Christ doesn't come again, our bodies and the bodies of all people will be resurrected and there will be a judgment. And for people who are trusting in Jesus as the one who died for their sins and have stepped out in faith, they will be acquitted. The penalty has been paid. God will welcome us into his fellowship, not because of our works, but because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And then the Spirit of God came in Pentecost. And when the future world comes, we will see God's Spirit at works in more dramatic ways than we have realized. So what I'm saying, friends, if this is all kind of sounding theological, and it probably is, but that's okay. I mean, um, it's about God and it's about Jesus. Um, this This is why we have church. This is why we talk about it. You can have new life, and you can experience life in a way that you never have By putting your trust in Jesus, that's how you experience the new life, whether it be in the present, spiritually, or in the future, physically. John is in love with the idea of saying, and he says it many times over, both himself and in Jesus' mouth, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be transformed, your sins will be forgiven, and you experience eternal life right now. So, I want to ask you whether you've ever come to the point in your spiritual journey whether you can say, Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I know that my fate uh, is beyond my control, that God has done it all for me, and I simply need to put my trust in Jesus. Uh, It's kind of like asking Him to be a friend, it involves confessing our sins, telling Him we're sorry, saying, Gosh, you paid this penalty for me. I'm free. This is wonderful. We do nothing but say amen to what God has done in Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you have stepped out in faith, then your future is secure. That's what Jesus was proving when he rose from the dead. The new world has come. It will come. So that's the good news of Easter morning. It's not a freak show. It's not some kind of a bizarre demonstration. It's God rebooting the world in Jesus Christ And it's Jesus Christ coming back from the dead as kind of a promise, as kind of a receipt to say, when it comes to your eternal destiny, I've got you covered. Because if Jesus hadn't got you covered, he'd still be in the grave. The fact that he rose from the dead is God's way of saying, I approve. That's my receipt. I accept the payment that Jesus made on the cross for your sins. You're free. We accept it as a gift. It's incredible. So that was the first story that we looked at, and we saw the story of Mary um, and John and Simon Peter running to the tomb, seeing it empty. They saw that when they looked in, they saw that the grave clothes uh, hadn't been just kind of strewn all over the place. When people break into a house and rob it, they leave it, just trash it. But when um, Peter and when John and when Mary looked into the tomb, they saw that the grave clothes were just kind of lying right there where Jesus had been. And that's testimony of the fact that somehow Jesus um, passed through the grave clothes. Somehow he was was transposed through it. But uh, robbers uh, would have no reason to uh, unstrip the clothes from Jesus. He would be easier to carry if you're going to rob it. And it was just laid beautifully there as though something supernatural had happened that's one of the testimonies for the reality of the resurrection one of the others and you can read more about it in the article is that the testimony relies upon the witness of women what's wrong with that well nothing (laughs) but in the first century the testimony of women was not worth much at all and so if you were making this up the last thing you'd want to do is to leave the primary evidence the primary witnesses in the hands of women because their testimony wasn't taken seriously. All kinds of details come through and affirm that this is the real deal. A guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a guy named Simon of Cyrene carries the cross. There are people that we haven't heard of that play a role in this, as you might expect. If it were made up, you'd have, I don't know, Simon Peter carrying the cross or other people involved. It has the ring of historicity, and if you are wondering about that, please read that article later on. Okay. So we have a future reality, but we also experience eternal life in the present. And I want to suggest that if we look at the story of Lazarus, we can see in a crude kind of a way an example for us. Jesus says to Lazarus, who was dead, step out. Lazarus is rejuvenated by God's power, and he steps out but it's kind of humorous. It's a little bit awkward because Lazarus isn't yet kind of the fully future resurrected person. He's still in his grave clothes and he's just kind of a crude picture of what God's going to do in the future. So I don't know how to picture it. Lazarus somehow makes his way out of the grave while he's still wrapped up. Now it might have been in those days that a poor man was only wrapped around the head and perhaps the hands and the feet, or maybe he rolled out. But anyway, he made it out. And Jesus says to him, As he says to us now, if you want to experience this new life, you can experience it now. You step out. Step out in faith. Recognize you're dead. Recognize that if you put your faith in Jesus, that he has regenerated you. And then you step out in faith. And when Jesus sees that Lazarus stepping out in faith, he recognizes that there's something kind of awkward about it and wonderful about it at the same time. And then he says to them in verse uh, 44, loosen him and grant him be off loosen him and grant him be off i'm going to get a little bit um imaginative here and some of you might not like it but i think the point is valid and substantial from other portions of scripture here i think jesus is giving the church the opportunity to expand upon the rejuvenating work that god has done i mean jesus could have brought him out of the grave uh, with his clothes off with his uh, his linen clothes off, but he says to them, to the people around, loosen him and grant him be off. If you go to the TTC or to uh, a fancy mall that's kind of modern, you'll notice that the escalators now don't run full steam. Uh, They're often just kind of limping along or motionless. And when you step on the escalator, There's a sensor that means it'll fire up. It's a a power saving mechanism. So when you step on the step, all of a sudden it will start going in full speed. And I don't know whether you're as paranoid as me, but sometimes I've sort of thought as I'm going up through the escalator, I hope that my shoelace isn't undone. Because if my shoelace gets caught in the thread at the top of the escalator, I'm gonna get my ankle cut off and it's gonna be a real mess. Somebody's gonna have to hit the emergency stop button. Um, I'm gonna be all bound up and bleeding. And that's a kind of a picture, I think, of what Jesus is saying of Lazarus. Um, He was out of the tomb. He had put his faith in Jesus. He'd been rejuvenated. So he's going up the escalator, but there are strips that are still around. Jesus says, Friends, he's alive, but he needs help. Loosen him and grant him be off. I like being part of Christ the King, and I like being part of the church because we are the body of Christ, and together we help one another. God does the miracle. God brings us to life, but there are times when we're kind of limping along and when I've got a hunk of bandage hanging out and I'm all hung up in the works, somebody hits the emergency stop button and says, Glenn, let me give you a hand. You're part of the body of Christ and we wanna help you. Friends, the future life that Jesus brought when he was raised from the dead is something in the future, but it's also something that begins now. And you can have a richer life already by putting your trust in Jesus. And you'll find that there's a sense of rejuvenation that comes. It's as though you're sort of empowered, like walking on one of those movators at the airport where you're on a, on a, on a path that's, that's, that's electrified and you're somehow just making it a little bit better with the help of God. Um, that's the picture that we have of the presence and working of the Spirit in our lives. How to fully experience the new resurrection life that Jesus has and gives. First, Recognize it comes in two stages. You're already experiencing eternal life now. He who believes in me has eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. But in the future, all will be made well, and it only gets better. And what we have to do in the meantime is, by the mercy of God, we step out in faith. Trust in Jesus. Hang on to him. Hold on to him tight like Mary did when she saw him risen from the dead. Cling to him for your joy and your sustenance and your salvation, and all shall be made well. Not that it's all going to be fine in the meantime. Lazarus was the target. He was a wanted man with Jesus. So it's no piece of cake, but it's worth it. And it's a higher quality of life by the grace of God. Amen.